Oh, we are both like I as in last week we were tired and now today it's like sleepy. <laughs> I love how like a few months ago I was like, once I hit like June and I'm on holidays, I'll feel so much better. I'll I'll just be well rested. No. <laughs> we're now in July. And I'm like, Do you know what it is? Really we are tired of the government. <laughs> I mean, fair to be honest. Um oh hope hope you're having a sexy vaccinated summer if anyone not listening in Ireland because I'd say you are <laughs> yeah um I I know I managed I I got my first dose yesterday I'm so delighted but I'm so tired like I got it at like 10 a.m in the morning I was so pumped I was like yeah but also I was like no because I'm so afraid of needles I mm. was like so in the middle and but like the it was like the first injection I went into like not terrified because I really wanted it done <laughs> so I was like it's fine like it's because I'm fine getting tattoos because I really want them so then this was like a new tattoo I was like class I'm getting a vaccine unreal mm. and um no, I got it at half 10 and I felt a little bit kind of sick afterwards, like not really sick, just kind of headachey. But I usually would feel that way after the doctor because of how anxious and how worked up I got. Yeah. And then three o'clock hit and fucking hell, like I just had to go to bed <laughs> and I got the best sleep of my life, but I could do with another one. Yeah. Yeah, and I kind of have a nice easy day today because I was warned that I would be tired. But like, oh, when you're lying down, it's a great kind of tired because you could just conk out. You are absolutely shattered. This going to be a fun podcast. Oh my God, I look like my face when I'm tired, my face kind of, I don't know if it gets swollen, but my my eyes get really red. And then I feel like I kind of puff up a little bit. I look like the moon emoji. You know, <laughs> to the little yellow and the grey one yeah. I, I feel like that encapsulates me today <laughs> no I just look like the death emoji when I'm tired Agreed. like my mom whenever I'm home and like I haven't slept well like my under eye circles like they're usually I have pretty you know obvious ones unfortunately but um like I look they are like deep like deep 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 and they are dark black um my skin looks gray like I'm I'm gonna go downstairs my mom's like are you not okay are you feeling well and I'm like are you of the living world I feel like death warmed up mom I feel like death warmed up and I feel like sleeping beauty I feel like sleeping beauty and having to be awake is like the pee Um, I'm yeah. so tired and my arm hurts, but I'm fine. I'm sexy and vaccinated. She's just, she's just a whingy baby. I'm That's such all. a whingy baby. As in like yesterday, I could have been given tiger blood that will make me live forever. And I'd still be like, oh, you guys, I'm so tired. <laughs> but as a vegan, you wouldn't accept the tiger blood. I would not. And also, I don't think the science add up that tiger blood helps you live forever. <laughs> No, I I don't think it's there. No, I don't think so. You know, I can't be sure. But then again, Nikki, we're not scientists. I wouldn't be surprised if we never saw Denise Richards ever again. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking of Charlie Sheen. And then I was thinking of Denise Richards. Have you ever seen that quote by Trixie Mattel? 
I'd be surprised if we never saw Denise Richards ever again. This is how <laughs> Nikki's brain works. Just the segues. How does oh, she get there? We'll we never know. never saw Denise Richards ever again. <laughs> but uh, on my weekly news, um, I am a big fan of TikTok. Love watching TikToks. And I feel uh, like our TikTok for you pages would be like vastly different to the point that it would look like different apps. Yeah, I mean, mine is like a lot of, I see a lot of like funny ones or like lots of makeup ones. Mine is like specifically that. the Sopranos right now. Ah, interesting. It's just woke up this morning. But like one, <laughs> one that, because um, my boyfriend is Italian, uh, we've stumbled across Italian TikTok <laughs> or like people who are dating in Italian and like doing. Oh my God, like, that's specific. It, it is specific. And like they are, um, they're doing things that are like taboo in, in Italy. And it's like breaking the pasta. Oh, <laughs> I Mateo's saw like, that one. Oh, there's so many of them. And Matteo's like, don't ever do that to me. Like hurting him <laughs> as a little Italiano. But um, like I've learned a lot about like what not to do in Italy. <laughs> So, um, but something that we tried yesterday, uh, cause I also love food TikTok, even though some of those videos I've seen literally want me to make me want to get sick. Cause they look- like, some of them literally want to give you salmonella. Like I saw someone <laughs> making a lasagna in their dishwasher. I was like, I saw that and the lasagna looked nice. But like as someone who has that, you know, that genetic, that gene that you have that makes cori- coriander taste like soap. Yeah. That makes me realize exactly what that, like I can taste the lasagna from watching that video. <laughs> I, I was just, I've seen, like I've seen people making cabanara in a sink. I was like, oh. this is not the side of TikTok I want to be on. But one that actually looked really good. And we actually tried it yesterday. And I have to say, chef's kiss it was delicious was pesto eggs oh oh my god we had a little bit of basil pesto put it in a pan warmed it up put the eggs in like sunny side up let them cook and we had lovely bread put a slice of cheese on it and like oh my god put a little bit of parmesan oh my god i was literally like Mateo, you know this what? is like the best thing I've ever eaten. Oh my god, I'm and... vegan and um so I can't eat eggs, but honestly, like we used to have our own chickens mm. and I just want my own chickens now for for the joy of owning chickens because they are lovely animals, but also like just so I can have an egg from time to time without the guilt of industry farming. <laughs> I know. I want that pesto egg so bad. Oh, like I would I would recommend it to anybody. Like it was oh. so good. Like literally we finished it and I was like, so we're having pesto eggs tomorrow, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like we're having pesto eggs today. But we're, we're talking about mozzarella today. And we're uh, having pesto so. eggs for a midnight snacky. Yeah. Oh, I was literally, I sent it to his mom. I sent it to my mom. I was like, oh my God, because my sister is a vegetarian. And I was like, I think she'd love this recipe. Oh yeah, my God. It sounds I was actually, sorry, I'm just, I'm a pesto egg pusher now. Yes. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of um, Italians, mm-hmm. the World Cup. Well done, Matteo, on winning the World Cup. <laughs> love how it's Rebecca, just Matteo. <laughs> Rebecca's, uh, Rebecca's boyfriend is Italian. My yeah. boyfriend is an avid football fan. 
And um, last night when, was it last night? Oh, it was two no, days it was two ago. ago yeah. I can't even remember yesterday. I was so tired. <laughs> um, two days ago when the match was on, um, the second they won, the second Italy won, I rang Matteo and, and uh, Emmett was just like, congratulations, Matteo. Well done, Matteo. Winning the football, Matteo. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Their bromance is very cute. Yeah, there for romance, very cute. And the thing is, though, we weren't more than we we, love them. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't actually watching the football. We were watching a movie, and I, I and I was watching Love Island on my phone, sitting next to Emmett watching the football. So I mean, because <laughs> my my brother asked my mom, he was like, "Is Matteo into football?" Like, and mom was like, "Yeah, I'm sure he is." And he was like, "Do you think he's watching it?" Mom was like. If he's in Trilly alone, yes, he's probably watching the football. But if Rebecca's there, no. <laughs> I was like, it will be banned. Um, football will yeah. be cancelled. So congrats to uh, Italy. Um, yes. So yeah. But uh, to also, England fans, uh, do not send racist abuse. Holy fuck. It's so bad, isn't it? It is actually apparent. I actually read a statement put out by Marcus Rashford this morning. It was on Twitter. It popped up. And it was really, like, um, really eloquent. I quite like Marcus Rashford. I'm not a fan of football. Um, I'm not really a sporty person. I'm a nerd uh, into my books. But um, he his statement, I think he's in a great guy as it is, like campaigning for um, food um, for people who are um, less privileged and things like that. But his statement, like him saying, it was really good. I'd recommend you read it. But I mean, the abuse, like seeing screenshots of what people are sending them, commenting under posts, um, like threats that they're making. I know. And it's kind of it's this week has been really overwhelming because also because of July 11th. Yeah. Um, it's just been a really tough week to. I, I don't know. It's a, I'd say it's a really tough week to be to be in the UK and to be kind of um liberal and kind of empathetic and like I'd, I'd say it's really hard to kind of know and have this kind of this global eye on you of like all of the atrocities happening in your state right now that must be hard it must be horrible to be like beyond horrible to be a people of or to be anyone of color in the UK right now it's yeah. just it's really I, scary I, just, I think it's just, and the domestic yeah. abuse skyrockets and like it's just miserable it is it's no, really it's, miserable it's just something that um you know comment on their skill not on their race i can't believe we even have to say that like i'm sorry it's just, like. <laughs> it's just something that you're like oh my god how do people like you exist and then there's a um, campaign going around i was really interested in the campaign that's going around about um making it that you should have id like a uh, government issued ID to um to your like, verify media, your social media mm. but then like that that doesn't answer all the questions either because what happens to asylum seekers and yeah. um victims of any any sort of domestic violence where they might have their ID taken off them like you know like it's going to silence an awful lot of innocent people too it just really is is like the police just need to get involved when there's a race racial racial comment made it needs there needs to be a cyber security that can just go yeah this is this guy we know because he has a vodafone iphone we tracked him down fuck you get in jail (laughs) you racist prick no it's just it's it's actually disgusting seeing 
seeing that since um Sunday night um it's hard and it's scary how much of it there was because usually when something like this happens I usually see the aftermath and mm. the people calling it out before I see the people actually doing it yeah. but like it was all over Twitter like the the like the n-word was trending yeah I oh like, I mean yeah but um no I it, just think it's it's shocking and the thing is oh you came second you came second. Like your team still did absolutely amazing. Do you know? Congratulate them on that. Oh, it just and it's you know what? It's linked to like there there's a link in this to the like you could link this to an awful lot of issues. You could link this to um the patriarchy. Yeah. You could link this to any that all I'm saying is this did not happen when the UK got zero points in the Eurovision. <laughs> this didn't happen there's well there was there was outrage like there was the, outrage but, but like not not like this no no this but, is um, crazy yeah so uh but look thankfully i don't know about your book becca but my book is very happy <laughs> um oh, we'll no! <laughs> gotta balance out the episode um i'm I'm not giving you any hints. Like, okay. stop fishing for hints, Nikki. <laughs> uh, but let me send my book cover to you. It's a really pretty cover, actually. Ooh, I got a message. I wonder who it's from. And her phone isn't on silent, lads. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This Emer is like, this, Ryan. No, sorry. Let me just oh. say, this is like, her phone's not on silent. This is like when I found out that Nikki didn't use headphones. I thought she had her little AirPods in when we were recording and whenever I was editing, I was like, why is some of the sound just coming out or like just And here's me like using like an SM7B, like an expensive microphone an ex- with no earphones. Microphone. And I was like, like, why is that happening? And then she tells me, I've never worn headphones. I was like, I am going to jump to the screen and murder you. Ah, now um, I'm wearing my PS4 ones, baby. So, um, Got yes, my Sony. She she learned because I got yes. got a little bit annoyed that day. I got my ass whooped. I got my <laughs> ass whooped. Yes. Um, I am looking at a lovely book here called Holding Her Breath by Ema Ryan. This is a book that I knew Becca had, but yeah. this again, it's another one that if you are in Ireland, you have seen this book all over your local essence. Like it's everywhere, and it's such a beautiful cover. So um, I'm looking at a blue book. And in dark blue, there's like these kind of squiggles, kind of the same way that like when you look in a pool, the water kind of has this ripply effect. It's really well done on the book because it, it does look like scribbles, but it gives you that effect all the yeah. same. There is a woman um, swimming. What what would you call this? Um, swim posture, Becca. Uh, I think it looks like she's like diving in. Do you know that? It's perfectly like, you know- like- Kind of, except I used to always also do this when I was a child. I would put my arms above my head and like do like a worm and pretend I was a mermaid. Yeah, we all did that. We all did that. We were like, yeah, I'm going to turn into a mermaid as soon as I touch water. And you're like, yeah, that was us. Like, I I always had to, looking back, you're just like, how embarrassing that must have been for the lifeguard to watch you doing that. Like, to be honest, childhood is just embarrassing. (laughs) <laughs> it really is and I I've childhood is like you you have nothing after you have lived as a child like you have <laughs> given given a white flag to your 
reputation <laughs> and your respect and your pride. You've, you've no pride left. Like, no, you have to regain that shit in your teenage years. No, and that's why. So that's why teenagehood is so hard because you've lost it all. And even then, it's even worse. I think. Like you're I just think. Oh, it's so funny. Like as a teacher, like you can see the moment teenagehood begins, yeah. and it's like I'll say goodbye to all my kids in like sixth class for the summer and they're all giddy and they're really really funny and fun and kind of hard to maintain in the lesson and then they come back in September and they're just like ashamed (laughs) it's like hi but like everything they say it's just mortification and it's so sad but it's it's like clockwork every single child goes through it it's horrible but anyway I am looking at Holding Her Breath by Ema Ryan. We've already talked about how beautiful and blue this cover is and the fact that the main character on the front is trying to be a dolphin in the swimming pool. Um, <laughs> a mermaid, not a dolphin. A mermaid. mermaid. <laughs> dolphin. Jesus. You know what? You know the way some people are horse girls? I was a dolphin girl. I was like, ah. <laughs> And yet I'm actually not surprised. <laughs> I'm so tired, you guys. This episode is sponsored by Pfizer. <laughs> Oh my god! I don't even say things like that. <laughs> okay, um, so I'm guessing that this book, "Holding Her Breath" by Emma Ryan, just to remind you, as I keep going off topic, is um, like I already kind of have an inkling to what this book could be about, and I do warn you that it is going to go quite dark. Now, uh, my mom was reading an awful lot of memoirs of um survivors of like the abuse in swimming teams in Mm. the uk and ireland and um just with the timing of when this book came out because i remember her reading them like last year and there was an awful lot of books even like just um around christmas time that were um written by survivors of the abuse in swimming teams okay but my those swimming books were um kind of everywhere before christmas and uh it was this emerging story because i think the court cases are kind of only after finishing up in the last year and i i really don't know enough about it mm-hmm. to even say names um i'm just from uh, my mom would know an awful lot about it um, from reading it but I'm thinking with the timing of this book it it's going I think it's a fiction book but it's going to touch on this theme of um of the the kind of atrocities in um just in a lot of like team sports for children the fact mm. that like uh, there there has been an awful lot of malpractice involved so I think our main character is now she's an Irish Colleen think her name is Siobhan and um she is she's grown up swimming her whole life and I think at the start of this book we're going to look at it from a really wholesome kind of rose-colored lens of her swimming like on holidays with her parents and um just you know like swimming in the sea and like you know there's going to be an awful lot of really positive um stories to like what led her to become I think I think she's on her way to Olympic swimming team mm. um, success here. And I think we're watching her career evolve, um, except we're also watching it kind of disintegrate at the same time, the higher up she gets. So I think we're getting flashes to all of the, the practices, the competitions that kind of led her to this Olympic team. I think she's actually literally in the Olympic stadium, but she's, 
not feeling proud of herself and this is mm. what inspires this like flashback kind of event to what led her here and why she isn't fulfilled even though this like from the get-go was her childhood dream this was always what she was working towards doing and I think over the course of this book we kind of realized that um she has been uh she has been abused by um by her swim coaches and there has been an awful lot of um like I think it could the the abuse could be kind of like body shaming comments the way that you know like we see this pop up in sports like ballet yeah um I think there has been body shaming comments I think the the children like when they're athletes at such a young age their body is just up to the negotiation of adults for some reason and it's like oh she's pudgy oh she's not tall enough oh she's da, da, da. and it's there's a lot of grabbing almost as if she's just a mannequin yeah. and I think she loses sense of I think as she strives to understand and operate her body on like the most efficient human level that she can on swimming of being like a pro athlete she also loses touch and ownership of her body on the same journey and I think I love the title I think the title kind of alluded that something was was up and I think she was she she was kind of holding her breath on like not wanting to see what was going on on the swim team and by the end she's a full-fledged whistleblower she um she finally says something and I think she waits until she is literally at the Olympics and is about to hop in the pool and she just doesn't and it's like a big protest and it's a light shined on all of the abuses of I'd say most swimmers on that team would have a little bit of understanding or would know someone who's been in similar abuse I think that could be what the book is about okay. that was really dark but um yeah <laughs> interesting um okay I mean yes clearly there is swimming involved like the title <laughs> the, yeah. the, the cover gives that away um but not, I was so off course not what the book is about um interesting yeah there there isn't uh abuse from swimming coaches and things like that um but Holding Her Breath by Ema Ryan is one that I'd heard about for quite a while. And Ema Ryan is a very uh, well-known um, writer um, in the kind of Irish scene. Mm. And this is actually her debut book, uh, mm. which, you know, you're like, oh, um, she's been, she's kind of been in the field for a really long time, you know, with, mm-hmm. um, and I'll talk about that. But anyway, uh, this is a very recent publication. It was only published in June. Uh, this year 2021 and um, it was one I was at home in Limerick and was in O'Mahony's and it was on the shelf I was like oh this is also where I saw it this week yes <laughs> and actually picked it up and I thought it came with a little bookmark with like a girl swimming it's actually her she signed it and I was like oh, oh even better. no way <laughs> so I was like I got such a shock I was like oh a free bookmark ah hey didn't, Ryan girl didn't <laughs> didn't actually uh look into it properly just was like oh yeah that's on my no, to see, read list she, she must be a fan of the podcast and planted this book specifically yes. for specifically Rebecca. for me yes. her specifically that's what's happened here he's no idea who we are but yeah totally um so this is a coming of age story which um 
I've done, I did one last week as well with um, Snowflake and similar kind of arc. Um, we have Beth Crow and she's okay. 20 years old and she is. I love that name. Yeah, I really like the name Beth, Beth Crow. Crow. Yeah, I think it's actually, I really like that name. Mm-hmm. And um, she's starting at college. Um, she's going to be studying psychology. Now, for some reason, I had a feeling it was set in UCD, but apparently it's set in Trinity. And I was like, oops, <laughs> don't know why I got UCD from it. So apologies to Ema Ryan. I did re- read it a few weeks ago. So it's not fresh, fresh in the memory. <laughs> but when I was doing my research, I was like, <laughs> I'm so shocked and I was like no this review is wrong <laughs> no it's, it's incorrect it's me it's me trying to also give the other Dublin colleges some yes some little bit of recognition because Trinity is not the only one it's not so um she is <laughs> sorry, I think college. it's it's another ripple it's another ripple of the Sally Rooney effect oh stop <laughs> no I'm I'm not gonna talk about it this week but like it was another thing and like, oh no not again it was another thing but in this sense they did be like no she's a person in her own right and all this kind okay, of thing okay good but, I, was, um, I was only saying because like Sally Rooney will make you believe that the only college in Ireland is Trinity, Trinity yeah. <laughs> and anyone who is 24 has been is in Trinity currently yeah and is it's, having it's a bad just, time <laughs> yeah uh, like someone referred to it as like this new genre of like girls going off to Trinity they're like trin lit <laughs> it's a new genre trin lit. <laughs> and I'm like but anyway, uh, she's starting college, but she is um, heavily uh, in the shadow of her late grandfather, Ben okay. Crow. Now, he is a huge uh, poet. Um, he is kind of up there in the likes of Seamus Heaney, um, WB Yeats, like really, really accomplished. Oh, um, shit. He's, that was he's one of her. Ireland's f- most famous poets, and he's also on the Leaving Cert, so... <laughs> when she was doing her leaving search like people would make nasty like comments at her and like oh so uh anyway uh he's viewed as kind of one of ireland's biggest poets um but he tragically took his own life um oh when that, her... that only gives her more yeah. like that so, makes him more kind of known yeah it does it kind of um brought a lot of um attention to his work but he committed suicide before she was ever born like her mother was actually 12 when it happened so she's never known him Mm -hmm. um so beth as well is uh is a former competitive swimmer um and we kind of see that swimming is something that she's only getting back into she's got a swim scholarship Mm -hmm. uh which is amazing for her but we see that um she could have been on the olympic team for Ireland and uh, her she kind of refers to you get a lot of references to something happened um, and it, you kind of think she had a bit of a breakdown a, a panic attack and she just is like those are dashed oh my god so, I was on something you were actually onto something so I she's now something. she's now slowly starting to I swim think this is the closest I've ever gotten it is um so she's she's beginning to swim competitively again now so getting into college um she finds i mean she's she's kind of i think a little bit um not fragile but you just want to kind of protect her a little bit when she starts college and especially Mm -hmm. when she uh gets in and she is 
people find out she's Ben Crow's granddaughter Aww. and she is just flooded Poor with girl. fans and academics who um who really want to access her grandfather's archives mm. um so there's this kind of whole thing of like oh my god that's Ben Crow's granddaughter and you know you just you kind of want to be anonymous in that situation she doesn't oh, want it totally. she doesn't like it and things like that and it's I mean there's one um person in particular he's kind of a postdoctoral um researcher but he's also a kind of lecturing as well um and he he's someone that she's met before only in passing mm-hmm. because he came for an interview with her grandmother and it didn't go well he didn't get access to the archives and he's kind of now sliming his way in and uh she's attracted to him and I'm going to get into Justin later I he's slime ball <laughs> I didn't oh, like him at all oh god he's a clammy clem he's a clammy clem they're coming back but in this, we kind of see that she has a lot of personal things going on. And it's really, once she gets to college, she's kind of beginning to realize that she doesn't know anything about her grandfather. And mm. it's kind of trying to find those missing pieces of information. I think she wants to find out really what is going on in her family. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, it's kind of piecing together a little bit of her own identity with that as well. So there's one track with that, but also with the swimming, it's kind of her regaining her own control over it, mm-hmm. not being pushed into doing um, it competitive to the yeah, like, like not doing on an elite it to team. be the best, doing it to yeah. Enjoy. And the thing is, so she is, she is literally amazing. Do you know? Uh, mm-hmm. She apparently is like a natural born born swimmer, but the actual competing wasn't for her. That's that's the vibe I got. Like even uh, we see sections where she's swimming in races and it's her father's head that kind of comes into her mind. Uh, her father was her coach. Mm-hmm. Um, that it'll push her to win. It's not her own really, do you know? Yeah. And I think she's such an adept swimmer that you're there kind of going, let her do it for herself. And I think it is it is her gaining it back for herself, which is something that absolutely you know you need Mm -hmm. to enjoy what you're doing yourself Uh, no one should be forcing you to do something to a point where it isn't enjoyable and it's it's causing you pain which we kind of see um as book goes on so with this um what I really liked was that the focus was more on female relationships in the book um like her roommate Sadie sounds like gas crack (laughs) um they're kind of polar opposites like uh Beth is very much like me like what I would have been like in college uh reclusive (laughs) um but with Beth it's it's that kind of she doesn't have a lot of confidence and um she compares herself a lot to Sadie like she doesn't do her makeup she you know just dresses in like um gym wear things like that and mm-hmm. it's it's a lack of confidence, I think, with a lot of it, where Sadie is just an extrovert. She goes out there, she has fun, things like that. I mean, there's, I wish she'd been a little bit more fleshed out. We kind of get a little bit at the end um, mm-hmm. because uh, I think the way Beth views her as in like, this is the college experience I should be having. Like, why can't I just be this go have fun kind of person? Uh-huh. And we actually see that there is other stuff going on in Sadie's life, but it's at the end. And I was like, oh, this is like a cliff note. I see why they did it. It's kind of a moment of realization for, for Beth. But I was like, 
I just wish there were some characters I just wanted a little bit more fleshed out. Yeah. They they could have been really interesting. Whereas I think Beth is your main character and there's one that is really good, uh, her grandmother, but the rest, they just feel like passing um, mm-hmm. kind of shadows in the book. Um, mm-hmm. But as well as Sadie, um, she, she like Sadie herself, she's a really good friend to Beth. She's completely understanding. Like, I think Beth goes through this thing of like, why is this person putting up with me? Do you know? And you're like, cause she likes you. She's, Aww. she thinks of you as a friend. And I get that. I think we've, many people have gone through that thing of like, well, I don't deserve to be friends with you. Like I'm not good enough. Do you know? Yeah, totally. And it's tough. It's really tough. And it is, I think that's kind of lack of self-esteem, not really seeing yourself fully and things like that. And you know, it's really hard. Um, so I loved Sadie. I just wished a little bit more there. Um, then uh, I think the character that I, I just loved her was her grandmother. Um, Yay! Oh, we've got an OAP in the house. The OAPs. Uh, <laughs> no, she's not like um, uh, Eileen from The Switch. She's not like our granny of last week. Millie, is it? Uh, Millie Gogarty. She's she's not like them. Uh, Lydia is ferocious. Uh, <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. She kind of scares me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I was like, I'm kind of terrified of you. Um, I love. She is uh, kind of this, she's well-renowned herself in her own right. Um, she was a lecturer in Trinity, I think, when she met Ben Crow. Um, she is a big literary, yeah, big in the literary world and um, a publisher. And she was her, um, Ben's editor while mm-hmm. he was alive. So um, she is a powerhouse of a woman, like, but as well, she's incredibly intelligent. Mm-hmm. She's, I think she's in her late 70s. She could be in her early 80s. But um, she is just, she's doing it her way or no way. Like there is like no you do it her way she is just so independent um like she lives up in the attic of their house Mm -hmm. um like she's like no I'm not coming downstairs like piss off (laughs) um why would I want water get me whiskey do you know things like that (laughs) she's just but she's also she has got um she can be a little bit bitchy not gonna lie she can be a little bit bitchy Um, she can have a, a bit of a vicious wit she can tear you a new one and um <laughs> you know she she's kind of she's a little bit scary and um she's not afraid to stand her ground like anytime academics have come to the house or tried to weasel their way into um the Ben's archive she's like no she'll politely like put up with them and then she'll mm. never respond to them again <laughs> and be like that guy is an arrogant asshole and I, I her. like her for that I love her for that I love her but uh you can tell that the uh Beth is really close to Lydia and um, you have to feel sorry for Lydia because she's so successful in her own right but she lives in the shadow of Ben's Mm -hmm. legacy and she's the keeper of his legacy now since he died and it's she doesn't talk about Ben it's kind of this um, way for the family to not bring any media or sensationalism to Mm -hmm. his death that they don't talk about him at all which I think is a bit stifling like you get that claustrophobic feeling that you're like this isn't healthy for anyone involved but um 
I think with Lydia, we had such a strong character and then Beth's actual mother, we don't really learn anything about at all. And I was kind of disappointed in that. I was like, oh, okay. She she just comes across as very a dulled character, very mute. Mm-hmm. And I was it was interesting, but I think it's probably hard to live in her mother's shadow as well. Yeah. So it's it's all this kind of having very strong personalities and maybe how that affects other people. Mm-hmm. But um it's it's kind of something that her family do need to kind of open up about Ben. Um, like Beth really wants to solve um because of his death, his last work was actually pu- published um, after it. And um, no one really knows the meaning behind behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Beth wants to find out. And she wants to find out more about him. And even when she tells her mom, oh, I've been listening to his him actually speaking his poetry um, or performing his poetry. And her mom kind of doesn't really respond do you know it's it's just mm-hmm. it's a mute point and you have to think like that isn't good for anyone involved no and um, you can see why the mom would be not wanting to respond as well because she's so hurt yeah, she is because I, I mean, assume it is it the mom's side yeah, it's, yeah it's her dad do you know yeah and um I think you know you're you're just kind of you just want them to open up and talk and I mean it's just it must be incredibly difficult um yeah and she's just trying to break through this kind of walls they've built around themselves to kind of discover really what Mm -hmm. really happened um and things like that so um justin oh he is not her lecturer she isn't uh doing any english uh modules or things like that but she um Sadie is and Sadie kind of brings her along to when he covers Ben Crow and he is a big Ben Crow fan okay like he is I think he did his um master's thesis or dissertation on Ben Crow okay if my memory serves me rightly so he is he's in the fanatic kind of part and as I've already said he did travel to her house to visit Mm -hmm. her grandmother and didn't go well and he kind of sidles up to her a lot. He's like, oh, I recognize you, Beth Crow, blah, blah. And mm. immediately I'm like, he is using you. Um, I get in creepy vibes. Oh, and no. um, she's she is attracted to him. Mm-hmm. And there's things that happen that you're like, this is not good, sweetie. This is not good. He's not good. Um, he's in a relationship and he he tells Beth that the relationship is, yes, he loves her, but he's not in love with her. Um, with his oh. girlfriend. I think it's girlfriend or fiance. Like it, it there it's a very serious relationship. He's like, we've been together since we were like in our teenage years. Um, it's gotten to the point where like he's like, we're like brother and sister. And um oh, yuck. <laughs> and um they start having an affair. And it, um, he doesn't really, it's all done in secret. Um, if they're going out together, like they'll get separate tables at a restaurant or at a cafe and like they'll be doing their own work. But she's like, I just feel acknowledged that like we're, we're here together. And you're like, you're not here together. You're not even sitting together. And um, it's just, oh, he is a huge slime ball. I was just like, this 
just feels like he brings up the whole time about Ben and her grandmother and like the archives and all this, like what happens when Lydia dies. And you're like, oh Jesus my God. Christ. What? Like, yeah. And you're like, oh my God, you absolute idiot. Um, like you're just, you can't say something like that. And it's, oh, I just, oh, he just made my skin crawl. Oh, and it. um, like that relationship, it's, it's, he's just like, oh, it's really dangerous for me and things like that. And he kind of, oh, it, 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 it does not help her at all. You can see that it's, it's not, it's a, ne- it has a negative impact on her. Um, and like the breakdown of that happening, I was like, thank Christ. Oh my God. Um, report him. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, oh, and I was like, he is using you to get to the archives. Like he thinks oh, like God. if he encourages his son, I, it just hated him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I really liked, um, hated Justin, but what I really loved with this book was her relationship with swimming. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that we kind of see her going back to and how calming it is for her. Do you know, mm. it's just something like for us, um, like playing flute can be really mm-hmm. calming for me, unless I'm there kind of going, why is it going wrong? Um, or reading like just puts me at ease. Swimming, like she does love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, like the writing in some of the parts where she's swimming, she's completely at one with herself, really. It's time for her to kind of reflect on herself, her body, mm-hmm. um, like the strength and power that she has in her body. And I mean, she kind of reflects on things happening to her and things like that. So it's her time to think about it. And I think like some of the writing, like it just, you actually almost feel like you're swimming yourself. It's, it's that good. And I mean, I think it kind of shows up the strength of women's bodies. Like so many times when people talk about women and sports, they focus on weaknesses or like, Oh, this is a bad thing for her or something like that. This is just purely just like she is a powerful woman that is just mm-hmm. a brilliant at swimming. And I really loved that. Um, and it's just really nice. So, I mean, it is, it's a great book. Um, I thought it was really, really well done. Um, very interesting. There was a part um, near the end that I was like, what is this in here? where she has a threesome. And I was like, this makes no sense to oh, me. Like it's... I was, I just felt thrown in. Mm-hmm. apologies if Ema Rain is listening to this it is a great book it's just one thing that just nagged yeah. me I was like what but um mm-hmm. I just wish that some of the other characters had some fleshing out like yeah. even with Justin he just seems flimsy yeah he's kind of it's kind of like cartoon villain <laughs> it's it just it's a bit flimsy but I did enjoy the book I'd probably give it maybe a six or seven out of ten nice. like, it is a good book it's really well written I think um it's a very interesting take on this trinlet idea but um really great to chat a little bit about Ema Ryan go on Ema Ryan he is uh, a big thing in the literary world world um Ema Ryan's debut novel Holding Her Breath is published by Penguin Sandy Cove she is the 2021 writer in residence at the School of English UCC uh, she is the co-founder of the literary journal Banshee and its publishing imprint, Banshee Press. Um, they are, I think, release two editions every year. And it's really, really well known. Um, 
So if you're mm -hmm. interested to check that out, her short fiction has appeared in Granta, The Dublin Review, The Stinging Fly, The Long Gaze Back and Town and Country. She's Ooh. also a sports columnist, which was really interesting for, for me to find out like how good she was writing about swimming. Um, so she's a sports columnist with the Irish Examiner and has written about women in sport for the 42.ie Image, Stranger's Guide, Winter's Papers and elsewhere. She is currently working on a book about Camogie. And she lives and writes oh! and plays in Cork City. So, oh I God. mean, it, it's bringing a lot more attention to female sport, which no one does in this country. No one does. No one no does. One does. And, um, they, sure, you see that with, like, the women's... Because, like, did the women's football recently, like, beat the women's All Blacks? And, like, no one talks about it. We never talk about, about that it. kind of stuff, no. Do you know? No one talks and, about it. And um, for a country that really loves their sport... Yeah, it does not really love its women. No, <laughs> but we already knew that. We've talked about that so often <laughs> on this podcast. But um, yeah, go check it out. It's a really great book and um, I really enjoyed it. It's been so, on my to read list and yeah. I think I must definitely read it now. It's been bumped up a couple of notches. Do, do. Mm. Um, so yeah, so apologies. That that was a long, long ramble, but there was a but lot. Kind of, it was a lot to dissect in that book. Really. Yeah, I'm sending you a picture of mine. Okay. See my pajama bottoms in the photo. So I am looking at Yours Cheerfully by A.J. Pierce, um, from the Sunday best Sunday Times bestselling author of Dear Mrs. Bird. Oh, I looked at this book, uh, Dear Mrs. Bird, not Yours Cheerfully because I knew you had it. Um, in Vibes and Scribes, their secondhand bookshop, and Ooh. I was very close to buying it actually, and I didn't. It's on my list now. Oh, okay, okay, I'll mm. leave it. I'll leave it. So yours cheer yours cheerfully is such a cute cover. And I Isn't remember it? I remember seeing it. There's times when I go into bookshops and there's books that I'm like, I'm not sure Nikki's gonna get. But this remember, book, we were the day we saw the dachshund, the yes. the um it's been the love of my the day life. We saw the dachshund. I was in town with you, and I was like, Beck, I just bought this. Yeah. And so the I thing is, though, last week. I, I'd seen it on the shelves when before that. And it was that time when I knew I was like, that's a Nikki book. Don't it's even go near it. It's didn't so pick it up. Charming didn't looking. read the blurb. I just knew I was like, that's a Nikki book. It's such book. a lovely title as well, isn't it? It is. So it is such a cute cover. So it's kind of a lovely kind of, well, I'm not a fan of salmon color, but it's, it's kind, kind of, of not. It's kind it's of more pink. It's right between baby pink and salmon. It's got the yeah. tiniest U of salmon, but it's lovely but, um, color. So that background and then in a kind of beautiful kind of blue um, writing, it's got yours cheerfully um, and then a typewriter, which I love. I love typewriters. Um, my grandparents had a typewriter and like my granddad would just bring it out and I'd be like, tapping out absolute when nonsense I'm, on it when I'm done just, traveling I need a typewriter I just love typewriters they are just I mean if you make a mistake you're screwed yes but so beautiful and like he'd untangle the ribbon whenever I messed it up and oh he put up with me a lot my granddad um but uh, a beautiful typewriter with um pretty much the whole sheet like covered in writing and mm. it's a beautiful blue color as well and uh, yeah, so there is a little review on it, which um, it's very blurry in this photo. I'll check the other one. <laughs> uh, so by from Katie Ford, uh, full of wit, friendship and the uplifting knowledge that when people come together, great changes can be made. 
Okay, so I have an idea for this one. Okay. And I'm going to say that this is set in a kind of very quaint town in England. Go on the same mm-hmm. vibe. Go on English. And I'm... Oh, for some reason, whenever I think of quaint town and English people, please correct me. I always think of Yorkshire. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I kind of do the same. Like, and we'll go, we'll go even more niche. Will we just say Doncaster? <laughs> Um, I, I just think Yorkshire and it's it's a very small town everyone knows each other I'm gonna go well Yorkshire I'm from gonna, what I know Yorkshire is kind of big and like there's small towns in it yeah it, it's a I small town Doncaster in Yorkshire it's in Yorkshire and that's next to Sheffield as far as I know okay you are gonna get us crucified <laughs> in Doncaster baby <laughs> so he I'm gonna say that I'm even going to go a little bit more niche. I'm going to say it's one of those towns that you're like, this doesn't exist. Like um, a guilty, <laughs> a guilty pleasure of mine, which is um, Midsummer Murders. Mm-hmm. It, like it is not like factually correct for what they do with their crime scene <laughs> investigations, but I loved Midsummer Murders growing up. And I'm going to say it's like one of those towns. Like mm-hmm. there's like, oh yeah. So it's very quaint. And I'm going to go a little bit of like Thursday Murder Club, like those kind of characters in it. Mm-hmm. So um, what we have is this um, tiny little village and these like idyllic houses and things like that. And um, I'm going to say population is like less than 200. Like it is small. Mm-hmm. And there is a family moving from London to this small town. Okay. And um, they are completely different. Everyone's like very quiet, kind of, you know, you get on with your business, you know, you take advice from your neighbors, you know, you go around, you borrow flour or whatever. These people are eccentric. Like that Nanny McPhee, again. They they are like, their children are wild. I'm going to say they've moved so that like, um, they want their children to grow up kind of in fresh air and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to say that like the children are, their first day they cause chaos oh my god do you know Absolute what i'm thinking chaos you know that film um now it it is a low-grade film it is called yours mine and ours oh yes and i think Miranda cosgrove was in it um and do you remember the so it was like the dad had like 13 kids and the mom had like 15 kids and yeah. they're like separate families and they meet and they fall in love and the mom's place was like all the children were like one of the earth kind of a yeah. vibe is that they, like the family we're thinking I'm gonna go a little bit like that they they're kind of like or is it like full like Captain Fantastic <laughs> no no it's not Nikki's interrupting me a lot today lads I'm sorry oh this is gonna be a long episode but um I'm gonna say that the like on their first day the kids cause havoc they um decide that they're gonna play with their their paint guns <laughs> oh, and they no. like what year they sh- is this by the way i'm i'm gonna say it's uh like it's 2020 okay. and like the the parent um so they play with their paint guns and like they shatter some of the car windows they shatter someone's glass house there's paint all over people's uh flowers they're like my hydrangeas um like their front doors like they have gone wild um they even hit like one of the old age pensioners who's in a wheelchair in the face no not our lovely oap and uh already the neighbors are like all people the neighbors are (laughs) bristling 
but the family what also riles them up is like the family like oh this is just so quaint this is just so cute like and then oh they're like God. meanwhile like ripping the neighborhood is yeah and they're like oh my god we can't wait to like do like a conversion on the house and like bring it up to modern like and they're like you want to what and I think the house that they bought like it's slightly protected because of how old it is or something and they're like mm-hmm. you can't do any work on this <laughs> and they're like leave us be and like then um I'm gonna say that the um the dad is kind of some sculptor or something and he does like these like very um intimate sculptures on like the front garden oh <laughs> and, like, no um <laughs> they're like some of the women are like my husband's gonna have a heart attack because of how racy these are <laughs> and um like they they like they have like meetings about this family being like oh my god what is he gonna do next bring nude models <laughs> and things like stuff they're swinging and, they're a swingers and house they kind of gently try to bring it up with the mom being like it's just like could she not use like kind of like your husband is he a pervert is he (laughs) probably like one of the women is like I think he's a pervert and they're like no she's like no 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 and she's like sure I mean he's just celebrating my body and they realize it's based on her and they're like oh what there's wait there's this is another one of those low-grade films stop telling people my inspiration behind this stop Stop calling me out. I get all my ideas from the Hallberg so, channel. How yours cheerfully <laughs> comes into it and the typewriter is that this family start getting notes. Oh. Um, but notes that are left like publicly, like like um Luther nailing it into the door of the church. They have it like taped to their front door. This oh, note. God. And I'm gonna say, as the family like ignore these notes it gets worse and there's more like it just like harry potter when he gets those envelopes from hot corners they're like coming down the chimney oh like. god but this note it's really polite it's like dear will of love family um and it's it's like really written i'm just writing to it um let you know that you are very annoying <laughs> that you are in um, reach of our our friendly neighborhood town <laughs> exactly and um it's like listing things of like um occurrences that have happened and like giving them suggestions of how to correct this and who they need to apologize to neighbors and then they sign it like yours cheerfully um your friendly neighbor or something I'm gonna I that's probably not if I was actually writing this book I'd have to refine it to something funnier and anyway they ignore it like they they visibly laugh about it and they're like oh what a funny joke (laughs) on outside in front of this note and whoever wrote it's like, I'm going to murder this family. So the notes start getting... Is it getting... going to be like Gossip Girl? And it's like, who's writing the notes? It's going to be a little bit like that. So the notes start getting a lot more frequent and a bit less friendly, but always signed yours cheerfully. And um, they're like, okay, we can't even take... They start going on a quest to find out who it is. They're like, mm-hmm. they are shaming our family. So uh, they start like calling around on the neighbors. They start fighting the neighbors over and like the neighbors are just giving them more fuel for fire because mm-hmm. they're going into the house and like, this is a mess. And they're, I was going to say the former owner is deceased. It was her family sold it on. And they're like, Dolores is rolling in her grave. <laughs> um, do you know, like they're like, the decor is hideous and all this kind of stuff. They're like, ooh. And um, 
just giving them fuel for fire and they start like trying to innocently like ask them like do you know who's writing these notes and they're like no but like you should really like take them on board and they're like clue has agreed that the notes are fair (laughs) and they start kind of like trying to piece it together and they are just like some of the accusations are wild They're, they're they're like oh the the old age pensioner in the wheelchair that was shot in the face by our son with the paint gun um and like, like a probable say, cause the probable cause <laughs> and then they interview him and he's like i'm i have arthritis <laughs> i can't even like i can't do anything with my hands <laughs> and they're like okay and like, he's are, like, are there arthritic friendly typewriters <laughs> yeah and they're like hmm he has a uh, scribe <laughs> So like they're they're doing all this stuff and um, kind of stuff like that. And eventually, I think there's a point in the book where the, one of their kids does something absolutely insane, um, like to the point it's actually illegal and they have their eyes open. I'm going to say that maybe uh, they involve their kids in the search and maybe they kidnap a, a, a uh, friendly dog. No, I'm going to say that they actually set fire to somebody's glass. Um, somebody's like um glass house plants and the whole like the place explodes everything and um i'm gonna say that it was this one of the people he it was like coming up to like their their town fair or something and they were growing their vegetables and stuff like that to compete and uh it's kind of a big wake-up moment for them that oh shit this how did we let it get like this and they start going through the notes and finding out like their kids are really like really bad like they've caused a lot of problems and like the neighbors have just taken it on the chin and just haven't stepped up or like they brought it up kind of like, Oh, you know, he's, they've destroyed my, my row, my roses. Like they cut everything up or, you know, they started digging for treasure in my garden. Um, or else they came over and like, they, you know, small things like that. And then it kind of started escalating of like them, taking a neighbor's animal or dog for a walk and not telling the neighbor so they reported Mm. like they were there searching for them and then they left the the dog in the woods or something like that so it's all kind of they're like oh we let this slide so they start taking on board the letters and things like that and um i eventually you know they become like a picture perfect family this is totally like I know not, it sounds like not a really possible. like charming movie. Not possible at all. And eventually um they find out that the whole neighborhood was actually writing these letters. They took it in turns <laughs> for each of them to actually write their grievances. So, or maybe there was a twist and they had like a studious older daughter who was like really empathetic. And could I, you see, if I'd actually the- planned it properly, <laughs> I wish I'd actually had a relative of theirs, like their granny or something living there. And I didn't. And she was like, she, she was, was the writer. Yeah. But I'm going to say that it was actually the whole neighborhood. Like, they're even there, like, the arthritic man was involved. <laughs> there's like you one know, letter where there's like loads of spelling mistakes. And oh, he, he could he only just write dictated it, it. He's like, yeah, you didn't ask, did I dictate a letter? Like, ah! and they go through, like, they never ask them the proper questions. So, do you know, they always are like, you know, do you know who? And they're like, I think the letters are fair, you know, <laughs> um, and things like that. And it's kind of them kind of realizing that, you know, they took advantage of their elderly yes. neighbors and things like that. So that's my guess. It's totally wrong. You're yeah, you're totally wrong. Um, totally wrong. It is English. 
That's about it. <laughs> that's about the only thing so yours cheerfully by aj pierce now the first thing that i need to note here is it does say on the book from the sunday times best-selling author of dear mrs bird this is actually the sequel to dear mrs bird i oh. had no idea so i'd never read dear mrs bird and i only I only found out it was a sequel after reading this book when researching. So you could probably read it independently. Oh, though. you so could. You so could. Like, I had no problem reading this without knowing. I didn't know the first book existed. Mm. So um, I'd still recommend this, but I will say that because I haven't read Dear Mrs. Bird, this could contain spoilers for Dear Mrs. Bird, I guess. Okay. Because it is a carry on. So if you're reading that book and you kind of are nervous, then come back. What? come back later <laughs> so um yours cheerfully by aj pierce is set in london in november 1941 in the middle of the war i'm kind of well in the beginning of um mm. of world war ii and our protagonist is a lovely woman called emmeline lake which is another oh, like what was the other nice lady's name. name something crow uh beth, beth crow, crow. Beth Crow and Emmeline Lake. Like Emmeline really Lake is nice. the most beautiful name I've That's ever. That's really heard. pretty. Like Emmeline is now on my my kids' baby list. It is <laughs> oh beautiful, and she's called Emmy. And um, Emmy, she is that's so cute. Emmy Lake, I love her so much. And we have so Emily Lake is um, she's a journalist and she's working for a magazine called Woman's Friend, and she's like there's kind of like. This is like where the first book would come in, I'd say, because there, like, there's been an incident a couple of months ago that we don't really figure out what happened, that she was nearly fired, but wasn't okay. fired. And at the start of this book, she kind of gets her second chance um, because, the, um, because of the war, the, um, minister, the Ministry for Information, um, part of the government, want all of the women's magazines to step up and help um, support the readers in this wartime and also um, to help inspire women to join the workforce since so many men are off fighting the war like the factories for food and for ammunition and for everything like they're they're kind of left quiet so um emmy is working for woman's friend magazine and uh, she's only a few months after being fired but this is her big break so um, the Ministry of Information is calling for British magazines to help the war effort. And they start, um, Emmy and her boss um, start something um, called uh, Yours Cheerfully. And it's a column um, that writers, basically it's kind of like an agony and section of the magazine where people oh, write in with their issues and they get shared in the magazine with all this advice. And if they write in with any issues that are kind of quite sensitive, so like domestic abuse, anything a bit more specific that shouldn't be aired, then Emmy will like write them a letter and um, like, you know, um, directly to them and they have like pamphlets and everything for, you know, since they get so many letters. Mm. And it starts off that Emmy is kind of helping another writer with this and she has an overhead and emmy will write everything and then everything gets edited by this woman or she picks like what's going to go in the magazine etc because she's kind of on a probationary period 
So we've got that going on. Amy has a wonderful boyfriend called Charles, who's just back in the UK after serving for the military and all is going well. And then she has her best friend, Bunty. And I love Amy and Bunty so much. I miss them so much after finishing this book. Like it gives me like circle friends feelings. Oh, so nice. Oh, it's lovely. And Bunty is an amazing character. She's actually just lost her husband um, in the Blitz. And she's also very injured. She has a really bad uh, leg after the blitz. So she walks around with cane and um, she's, you know, she has an awful lot of pain in her past, but she is so, so optimistic and just wonderful. And like, um, I have literally, when you said the name Bunty, I was like, I feel like I'm going to love this character and never read the book, but I'm always, I'm already like, how dare you cause this author, cause this woman harm. Like, I know they are in Dear Mrs. Bird. I'd say that's the book that kind of deals with the with what happened to Bunty because we see it kind of afterwards. So I am really looking forward to reading this book because mm. I just need more Emmy and Bunty. I love them both. And I love Charles very much as well, her um her boyfriend. So um after the the um Ministry of Information calls on them, the the whole book kind of sets in motion and Emmy is Uh, a woman living in the war who wants to do her part to help her country and there's the help our boys initiative and like every single person in this book wants to do their part to help um to help win the war Mm -hmm. and uh it's the bloody war as emmy and charles love to call it but um she starts writing this column anyway um cheerfully yours and a lot of the questions revolve around war work which is when women go off and work in factories and etc. And Emmeline or Emmy and Bunty, they are on the train and they meet a woman named Anna who has two kids with her. She's got like little baby Tony, and then she's got like they call her the monster, the toddler Ruby. <laughs> and Ruby's lovely, but she's like totally obsessed with food and um is just like wild. So they call her the monster and um, they meet her on the train and they're like, oh, like, I'm, you know, we'll we'll hang out with um, with Ruby, like you relax and have a chat and all this. And this woman, Anna, is really, really lovely. And she's actually just gotten a job in a factory. And Emmy kind of asks her, she's like, oh, would you mind if I maybe interviewed you? I'd love to write a story for the magazine about you being in the factory. And um, she um, she goes to the factory anyway with Anna and she meets like all of the other war women workers and they're all lovely. And they start talking to her very candidly about like, you know, they're really happy they're working. And they're really happy that they're being able to do their bit. But there are things in the factory that just aren't fair. And they're very English with the way they deal with it because it's very like, oh, you know, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. You know, and they're they kind of shut it all down. But like we start to see the um, real challenges that were there during wartime for women. So like there's a massive highlight on like the wage gap. So these women are working for um, little to no money and the factory worker, uh, Mr. Terry, who is the worst, meanwhile, is like driving this big fancy car and he somehow has petrol to drive it around, even though everything is being rationed. Yeah. And um, it's it's just conspiracy theory. Yes. Mm. <laughs> you start realizing like the the unfairness kind of swept across everything. So um, there's the wage gap. There's a lack of childcare 
for the female workers and also the widow's pension is really really low so an awful lot of women in the factory have actually lost their husbands in the war and have had to work instead of staying at home with the children because they would have gotten a salary for when their husbands were away at war and then that salary is like slashed and it becomes a widow's pension and it's just not livable like you, you can't survive on it. So the government, um, Emmy kind of figures out that the government like really want women to help the country, but the government aren't really willing to help the women right now. So she starts writing articles, but they're very positive because she she wants to do her duty and her part by helping bring women to the workforce to help all of the men abroad so that they can win the war and like an awful lot of the wives in the factory like they all want to be there because they're making things like weapons and ammunition and like every like it's really just full of care this book because like all the women are there working these horrible hours because they're like oh this is going to help my husband this is going to help my friend's husband and it's really lovely so this, she's writing her articles and um, at, or one of Anna's friends, Irene, is brought to Emmy's attention. Anna is the woman working in the factory. Irene also works in the factory and actually ha- like brings in her children, which obviously isn't safe. And she's fired from the factory for bringing her children in. And immediately Emmy is like, why would she bring her children in? This is so unsafe. And Anna's a bit cross and, Anna, and Bunty's a bit cross. And they're like, where else are her children supposed to go? She's like, her husband is missing abroad. So she's not making his salary right now. Like they don't pay her because he's AWOL. Mm. And um, she doesn't get a salary payment. She has to work. It's her civil duty to work. And um, she has no one to mind the kids. And she realizes with all of these weighing issues, like she is writing in the magazine for women to go and join the war effort, but there's no attention being brought to like the government needs to make more nurseries for the children while the women are at work and make jobs for other women that they can work in nurseries and make look after children while others go off and do factory work, etc. So she's like, this book is about Emmy who is torn between like her civil duty to help win the war, which she so firmly believes in and also her friends and making sure everything is right by them. It is so charming. I, oh my God, this book is like a big hug. You can just see it on the BBC. Like you can just, this whole book reads like a lovely, lovely film. It's, Oh, it's so, so nice. There's like, everything is really whimsical. There's a wedding and the wedding is like the same day as a protest. And it's just like, everything goes wrong, but everything makes, like everything works. Mm. You know, like they're like on the way to the wedding in like the back of a car and the roads are all shut down and the train is shut down. And they're like bouncing the whole way to the wedding in the back of a car going on country roads. And it's all very, very funny. And it's really really whimsical again like I can't say enough how much I loved every character in this book except Mr. Terry but I also like that he was there and like the the thing is is that like he gets his comeuppance but in a really Emmy way where she just shuts him down with words without being cruel yeah she's kind of like look you like these women they they're not in the factory to make loads of money and drive their cars around they're in the factory to look after their husbands and their families and this country and they just need your support they're not asking for they're not being unpatriotic by asking for any of these things so 
I I would just I'd read this book in heartbeat and I'm really glad I read it when I did because I read it between a couple of heavy books and this was just so nice and so charming and just wonderful and Emmy and Bunty are my friends now (laughs) (laughs) the the end of the book had me bawling because it was just so nice and I love Bunty so much I was just delighted for her. Um, so there's an awful lot of like 1940s like idioms in the whole thing. Mm. And like I didn't really, I would know a lot of 1940s idioms. Like there's an awful lot of like sayings that you would guess are like in the 40s. Like everyone kind of, you know, trying not to cry and being very British and not wanting to be unpatriotic. And then like there's a little woman who says to Emmy, like, sometimes you just had to give in to the odd watery day. And I was like, oh, it's just lovely. It's really nice. And there's even little things that when I was looking up um, info on this book to review it for the podcast that like I didn't realize was a 40s kind of a thing to do. Like she capitalizes things like the big war and Mm. um, the troubling time. And like all of these are always capitalized like at the start of each each word and apparently that was something in 40s literature and it's it's really lovely so to give you a little bit of background on AJ Pierce I'm gonna I'm gonna read from her website the way that Becky mm. does so AJ Pierce was born in Hampshire in the UK and her favorite subjects at school were English and history which now makes perfect sense yes <laughs> favorites yes yeah she majored in American history at the University of Sussex spending her junior year at Northwestern University in Illinois in the USA so in 2012 AJ came across a 1939 copy of a weekly women's magazine and had the idea of writing a novel set in wartime London her debut novel Dear Mrs Bird was a Sunday Times bestseller and has been published in the USA Canada and Australia in and has been translated to 15 languages wow Yes, Dear Mrs. Bird was shortlisted for the debut of the year at the 2019 British Book Awards, as well as the Royal Society of Literature, Sir Christopher Bland Prize, and the Historical Writers Association's debut crown 2019 for the best historical debut. It was a Mm. Richard and Judy book club pick and in the USA was shortlisted in the USA Library Reads Favourites of Favourites 2018. So she's really successful. And this, the latest novel, Yours Cheerfully, is the sequel. And it's the second in the Emmy Lake Chronicle series. And she's currently researching the next installment. And when I when I see that she's researching, she's not writing, like there is so much research gone into this. And she has a lovely acknowledgement section. And Ooh. it's really funny because like yours cheerfully is written with like kind of a large font. And then the acknowledgements is, is like really tiny, <laughs> tiny. font. Because <laughs> there's so much. And she thanks so many people so like like she has all of her credits listed like she thanks everyone and she mentions in the acknowledgements that she was she has like um she was mentioning all of the books that she researched with and like they're quite hard to get your hands on obviously so uh, I'll just read out here and this is from her acknowledgement section in this book While researching this novel, wartime women's and news magazines have been invaluable. Together with contemporary books, Women in Factories, uh, 1943, by Amabel William Ellis, What of the Women, A Study of Women in Wartime, from 1941, by Elaine Burton, British Women at War, 1941, by M.D. Cox, and They Made Invasion Possible, by 1944, by Peggy Scott, are all fascinating if you can track them down. 
I also treasure a copy of WorkSense, a book written for munitions workers and other entrants into productive industry, 1941, by W.A.J. Chapman. On the opening page, it has a hand-drawn pencil sketch of what looks like a piece of machinery. And I often wonder who this little book belonged to. Oh, she's lovely. She I know that sounds actually. I, yeah. I actually, there's so many books that you've covered that I need to read, and this is added to the yeah. list. And this is like, this is lovely. Like, there's like obviously, um, feminism in literature is lovely to come by, and mm. it's lovely when it's done correctly because sometimes, like, and you can understand why it can be done in a very angry kind of yeah. a light because, like, women we have been scorned, yeah. and reading the history of what's happened to women over time is really infuriating but this is it's just dealt with in a really lovely way that is really um like you like it's it's a really well constructed argument without getting Mm. aggressive and kind of anyway accusatory because like the women in this novel they want like they fight for nurseries so that women can go to work for the war they don't fight for equal wage yet because they don't think all these changes are going to come naturally they're also in the middle of a war they just want enough to do their part so that their husbands can come home and that their country can be safe and the sacrifices made by these women is like it's second to none and it's not anything that you would think of when you when you hear about world war ii you wouldn't think of these issues i think it's something that we don't acknowledge enough and it is something that i have i have thought of before you know when because i'm really into history as well and i went through a very big phase of watching a lot of period dramas that were set around world war ii Mm -hmm. um and like a lot of them you do see them going off to work and you know um working to build machinery or you're taking over their husband's jobs in farming and all this kind of stuff to keep the country going and you're there kind of going like this isn't really talked about that much when we study world war one like we talk about the brave soldiers we don't talk about all the people who supported and the thing is though it's brave women as well because they're doing these this job they're in a country that is at war do you know you have to think um they had to put up um, black oak curtains so that they wouldn't get bombed. Um, yeah, and if you were living in a city, are in sending here. your kids away, things like that to live in the country, and then having to work as well with the possibility of you never know if you're going to get news that your loved ones are dead. And I think it's it's something that I, I like hearing that it's acknowledged in yeah, and in a really positive way. Yeah, and there's little things like the blackout curtains are brought in, the the food rations. There's a scene where her and Charles go to a really fancy restaurant for a date because, um, you know, like they're, you know, they haven't seen each other in ages and they go for a date and like they're looking at the menu and they're giving out about the war, but the menu is like really luxurious and they're like... We, these eggs could be illegal, but they're kind of like, oh, we'll get the eggs. Yeah. <laughs> and, and does Charles go back to... He does. Yeah, he does. Um, without without spoiling, he he um talks to Emmy that like she kind of knows he's not happy staying at home and working um in kind of an office and supporting the troops. Abroad. Well, I would have assumed that he would have been his... scripted. Do you know? Yeah, and what it is is that he's lucky enough to be stationed back in the UK, but he's not happy and he's he he wants to fight yeah. alongside. You know, like he's fought before. Well, and I mean, he you want to go abroad. You saw a lot that men who. Um, were well a lot of men that couldn't fight due to medical issues or you know things like that um or 
not as much too old, but more men that were excluded from being drafted, how badly they were treated at times. Yeah, Especially like more, I think, during World War One. Mm-hmm, he isn't but, really poorly treated because he served time. He's okay. just been stationed back. But um, he isn't happy. He he wants mm. to, he can't really, like, it kind of keeps him up at night because he, he feels like he could be doing more because he is able to do more. Yeah. And um, she is a wonderful character. She just supports him. And it breaks her heart to see him go. And, you know, especially when she's writing to all these women and all these widows, she's kind of like, oh my God, like I'm so lucky and I, I don't want to be among these people, but everyone has to do their part. Yeah. And, um, you know, like she she kind of says like, there's there's a really lovely scene towards the end where she bids him away. And that's when she's trying not to cry at the train station. And another woman comes up to her and is like, you were very brave. Like you're doing, you're doing the yeah. so much for your so country hard. Right now. And it, it's a lovely book. It like I loved it. And it made me really interested in the history um, of the war. And it makes me want to read more books in this genre. I mm. think she's just you can so tell she's passionate about English and history because there's just no flaws here. Yeah. So I would give this book, I'd say about an eight out of ten. Mm. And the only reason I dox it down, I don't even think I could dox it down. I think it's just comparing it again. I do this a lot where I have my 10 out of 10 books. You see, I and... think with ratings, I was thinking about this earlier when I was reading, like thinking about what I was going to rate, holding her breath. And I was like, I just think when I read it, I just thought, right, seven or six out of 10. Like just, I knew, do you know, when you read it? Yeah. I, I think, you know, if you, if this is a 10 out of 10 book for you, that's for you, do you know? Or yeah, eight out of 10. so I it's... think for me, it's an eight out of 10 there because I compare it to, there's a couple of books that are my 10 out of 10, but I couldn't tell you anything she could have done better here. I yeah. really just loved it. So maybe, maybe it's, it's been an eight and a half, a nine. Yeah, there's I can't. It's just the vibe you got off it. Yeah, exactly. No, I'd be interested to read it now. I love that kind of. If it feels like it'd be a cozy book, but also deals with some very cozy book, and it will. It made me really teary. I was reading it on the bridge yesterday. I was like, I had tears in my eyes because you'd have tears in your eyes because you're just sad for them. And you've tears in your eyes because you're really happy for them. And to be honest, I more than often had tears in my eyes because I was delighted for them. And they've gone through tough times, but they're 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 gonna make it through. These are strong characters. Oh, yes, cool. So that would be my um, review. Two very recent books, actually. Yeah, we're um, on it. <laughs> we are on the ball. Uh, this is probably a pretty long episode. Um, I've kind of gone on very long rambles with my books, but they've been ones that have been really interesting. And uh, I actually realized, I think for all of June, I just read Irish authors. So I'm proud of myself. And yes. Nikki is not listening. Sorry, no, no, I am listening. <laughs> it's just I have a Zoom at one. With that, uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Do message us. We love... Um, getting messages from listeners they really we do, do. Make and we love day. chatting about our books we love uh, chatting I, about books i recently p- picked up a recommendation from a reader so hopefully i'll get that one soon yeah. um we really and, love that um, yeah no, and it's if, great also if you are someone who is listening to this episode on the off chance that you actually haven't read in a while or you don't know any of the books we talk about and you'd like to get more into reading, also message us because I'm someone that kind of regularly goes through phases of reading constantly and then not reading for a full year. So yeah. I totally know what you need to get back into reading, like yeah. just messages, anything at all. Um, but with that, uh, go follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Goodreads 
and yeah interact with us we really like chatting with people and um, we probably get really nerdy I was chatting to about dear any grief with someone and if you've listened to this podcast or listened to that episode you know that I am now a big fangirl <laughs> so yes. um yes it, it was literally I was like my it was on Monday as well I was like my week is starting off perfectly but um yeah so go uh follow us on that and until next time bye bye bye, bye. <laughs>